in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. So three college basketball players met with the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, yesterday. Michigan's Isaiah Livers, Iowa's Jordan Bohannon, and Rutgers' Geo Baker. And they met with Mark Emmert because they want basically a, a waiver from the NCAA to fast track the name and likeness that seems to be coming, that players will eventually be able to get paid using their name and likeness in college. They basically went and said, hey, will you give us a blanket waiver for next year so that college athletes can start making money off their own name, off their own likeness? They got a meeting with Mark Emmert, but afterwards the players didn't seem overly um, enthused about how that meeting went. Basically, Mark Emmert just told them that they would get back to the players on it. Yeah, this isn't, he's not going to relent on this. He's going to have to lose uh, at the highest court in the land, and they're going to have to order Mark Emmert at any time to accept that it's going to be his decision that players get paid uh, under his kind of uh, uh, umbrella leading the NSA. So it's nice that they got the meeting. Uh, I wish it went better for them because I do think uh, I'm fine with the name and likeness given what those schools make off the kids. But the, the idea that Mark Emmert is going to give in on this until he's forced to legally is crazy. He's not going to do that. He has said far too many times what he thinks about players being paid and uh, where he stands on it. So, um, uh, you know, now again, one day he might, one day soon, uh, legislatively or legally, he might have to, but he's not going to do it just because three guys came in and asked him. Yeah. And so there was a story in The Athletic yesterday that had anonymous athletic directors and conference commissioners across college sports basically questioning why the hell Mark Emmert was their president. And one of the quotes was, you know, his salary is $2.7 million. One of the quote was, we haven't seen any positive change for that $2.7 million in a long time. So I, who, who determines if Mark Emmert is employed or not by the NCAA? Because I don't know anybody that's actually happy with him right now. It's the president's, right? It's the president. Is it? The okay. I, it's the president. I, I don't know the actual answer. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's I the president's. Just, it's and listen, he's in a position kind of like commissioners of our pro sports leagues. They're 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 part of their job is just to take blame and take crap and take right. criticism. Hey, this is wrong with your league. Why is the commissioner so terrible? That's part of the job. But it, it, if if you have athletic directors and conference commissioners basically saying, "What's this guy doing?" You're, I, you feel I feel like you're getting to a point where everybody's looking at Mark Emmert and saying, "Well, what good are you doing, anybody?" Mark Emmert definitely has a, uh, a bigger case of Larry Scott syndrome uh, in <laughs> terms of what of in terms Scott. of what his constituents think of him. So <laughs> I don't know if he's you know I don't know how much longer he is for the job, but uh, right now if you you know you took a straw poll, I think at the athletic director level it'd be far uh, less positive than uh, more so. All right, well go ahead to the next one, Jared. I, I'm I'm done with this topic. I was just going to make the joke. As long as the checks keep clearing from the NCAA, <laughs> that dude is staying. Oh, Man, yeah. You know, that's yeah. a great question. Yes, yeah. So this is a story from Matt Norlander of CBS Sports, who basically gave out some potential candidates for the North Carolina head coaching job now that Roy Williams has retired. And he wrote that he thinks Mark Few should consider leaving Gonzaga for North Carolina. Mark Few has had job offers in the past, and he's, he's stayed at Gonzaga. He's been there for, like, over two decades now. So... 
I'm curious, do you think North Carolina, is that, it's one of the five best jobs in the country, is that a good enough job for Mark Few to actually leave Gonzaga? Well, I think there's two points there. Is it a good enough job? You know, it's top five job. I don't think he's ever leaving Gonzaga. Um, all the people I've talked to over the years about him there, and this is going to come to no surprise to people, about how well he's treated there, his family. It, look, he is a major program. He flies wherever they want. They charter wherever they want. Uh, they want for nothing at Gonzaga in terms of dealing with the, you know, the Dukes and the Michigans and now the Baylors and North Carolinas. They want for nothing because they are, they have a new arena. They are treated as a major program. Uh, he lives incredibly well there. He's like a big fisherman there. I mean, it's his life. He loves that life more than anything. I don't think he's ever going anywhere. Uh, but that's not to say North Carolina is not a top five job. I just don't think he would go anywhere. And by the way, they're undefeated this year. It's going to be a second final four. It's a second final four. Why would he go? To say he's the coach at North Carolina, he's already got a major program. I, I don't think he go. I don't think he would ever leave that school. Yeah, I don't think I would either if I was him. I wouldn't um, either. I, 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 I'm not one that's like, oh, I have to prove it on the higher level than whatever he's proving it on right now, which I guess some coaches feel that way. But I don't think I would like it the way the way he's set up with Gonzaga. No. I don't I don't no. think I'd be interested in leaving that. I mean, if no. if North Carolina came in and I think Mark Few makes maybe two million dollars, if they came in and they're like, all right, we got four and a half, five million dollars for you, you might consider it because that's a lot of money. Uh, but I if I'm if I'm Mark Few, I'm not looking to leave Gonzaga even for one of the best jobs, if not the best job in all of college basketball. Can I ask you guys like? Wouldn't the expectations for, like, yes, basically Gonzaga is a major program, but aren't the expectations for Gonzaga way lower than what, like, North Carolina or, like, oh, yeah. a Duke or well, a Kansas yeah, is? Because of the, yeah, the yeah. history and the fan base and kind of, yeah, what they've done over time. But So you still um, get all the benefits of coaching North Carolina, but nobody is, like, screaming at your neck. Yes. Oh, Gonzaga. you mean at Gonzaga? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah he's beloved. He's a, yeah he'll never he'll have it as long as he wants. Where North Carolina, as good as he is, he goes and five years later they're even worse than they are now. He could lose the job. He's never losing his job at Gonzaga until he's he's Shashevsky. He's going to decide when he leaves. So I'm with Tyler. I I don't go to any job. I mean you know <laughs> I, I I don't go anywhere. I'm out. Texas Tech did not get a chance to counter offer. Chris Beard, uh, the Texas Tech athletic director, talked uh, at a press conference yesterday. He said that the, prior to Chris Beard taking the job in Texas, or Texas even coming uh, open, that they had talked to Chris Beard about doing a lifetime contract or a rolling contract where every year he made the NCAA tournament, they'd add a year on to the end of his contract. Um, but when Chris Beard ultimately took the Texas job, he went back to the Texas Tech AD and said, there's no point in making a counter offer because I'm not making this decision for financial reasons. He said it wasn't a financially motivated move. So Texas Tech never got a chance to actually keep Chris Beard once Texas offered him. Yeah, I look, I don't, is it, is it twice the money? I, I have no idea. I don't know what, you know, I'm sure Texas Tech also could have come up with more money uh, if they want, you know, if he would have even considered it. Um, a lot of been talked about. He went to Texas. You know, that's where he went. And everyone makes fun about his dream jobs and everything. But, you know, he did go to school there. And we've talked about all Texas has. Uh, so not surprising. I mean, it might not have been financially motivated. I mean, you can pretty you can live pretty well in Lubbock for what he was making. So it might it might have been more. He wanted to go back to Texas to see what he could do at, at a school like that with the resources they have. 
So I'm not going to completely discount it. It wasn't financially motivated. That makes sense on some levels. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> All right. Do you still laugh every time you hear that? Every time you hear that, you still give us a laugh. <laughs> so some breaking news here from CJ Moore on Twitter. Bill Self has received a lifetime contract from Kansas. Uh, the contract includes a five-year rolling agreement. Uh, what's interesting about that, though, Kansas doesn't have an athletic director at the moment, so who the hell gave him the lifetime contract? <laughs> Would the president have done that? Did he give it himself? Did he assume I am I mean, the athletic director well, now? I mean, I guess he could because he's the one hiring the AD, so he could say, hey, here's part of the job. This guy's got a lifetime. You still want the job? I mean... He's got the power to do that. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. And here's the other thing. It's like the Gruden tenure, the Chris Beard, you know, would have given him this. There's got to be stipulations in there, right? I mean, you know, I have to, you know, make the NCAA tournament every lifetime. And I, look, again, Selp, I think, is like few and Krzyzewski. I think he'll leave when he wants to. But lifetime's, to me, more just a word than what it completely means when you look at the fine print. We still don't know what Gruden's means in terms of 10 years. It just means that... You can leave, I guess, when you want to, unless you're just completely horrible for several years, which Kansas is never going to be. I think it's more for the headline. I, I don't, you know, I don't, when you hear lifetime, I think that's more put a huge headline in the paper. He's got a lifetime deal because until you read the contract, you're really not sure what that means. Next question. NHL teams will lose money if they make the playoffs. A story from oh. ESPN.com. Here's a quote from a general manager. If you make the playoffs, you lose money. If you win the Stanley Cup, you lose more money. Uh, another general manager said, people can talk about the trade deadline all they want, but no one's really inspired to make a huge splash when large masses of people aren't coming into the buildings. Uh, I'm fascinated by this because it's basically telling us that NHL teams are not taking this season as seriously as they have any other season because they think they're not going to make as much money in the playoffs. Okay, so... I'm going to disagree here. This is like when they say, when politicians say, if you get the Super Bowl, you're going to make money, which you're not because, you know, it's just you're going to lose money in a Super Bowl. But you always want it for not only the perception, but what it can mean for your city uh, long term of being a Super Bowl city. Same thing here. So you're not going to make money in the playoffs. Well, two things you can do, obviously. You can now raise the net, the uh, price of pencils at the Army to $65 because of $65 <laughs> pencils. Anything. But also, let's say the Knights win the Stanley Cup. You're not making money back on gear and all the other craziness this fan base would do for that team if they made the Stanley Cup. There's ways to make money back. So when owners start crying about, we're not going to make as much money, I just laugh. They, they're smart enough people to where they can market, you know, a Stanley Cup champion. Now, the team that loses in the first round, I don't know. I don't know how you market that. Maybe there is a sense that you lose some there. But don't tell me if you win the Stanley Cup, you're going to lose money over what you could get back from it from your fan base. Yeah, it's and and the the key phrasing here, the key phrasing here is these general managers saying lose money, when in reality it's just make less money than usual. Right, exactly. Right. People, this is, yeah, corporations lay people off not because they've lost money, but they haven't made as much as they wanted in the third quarter. That I yeah. mean, you're not losing; you're just not making what you wanted to. Right, and that's that's the key difference here is they view it as losing money when in reality they're still all going to be profitable. They're just not going to be as profitable as they're used to being because. They can only have 20% of fans or whatever that number ends up being. Man, you know, that's a great question.
Vanderbilt will spend $300 million to upgrade its football and basketball facilities. Based on what UNLV tells me, Vanderbilt's going to be winning the SEC every single year oh, after these facilities. You love facility stories. You do. I'll only, I'll only ask you this question. I don't know if it means much. If Anthony Rosas, uh, if he went to back-to-back, if he went, let's say he's you know as good as he believes and he's going to be in the NFL in a year, but if he went to back-to-back recruiting recruiting trips, right, and he went to UNLV and here's the Fertitta football complex and this is who we are, here's the strip, here's that, all the stuff, and the next weekend he went to, I don't know, Wyoming, and they had none of that, like their facility was bad and all that, not that I know what Wyoming's football facility looks like. In your mind, does facilities then make a difference? No, not at all. I mean, it's... What if he chooses you and Levine? He says, I love the facilities. Yeah, well, they all say that, but it's not just... Uh, no, it no, no, no. So... They all say the coaches made me feel like family. That is exactly. Well, that's true. <laughs> but here's the thing. The facilities, sure, they're on the list of things a player will consider, but they yeah. are so far down the list that it's irrelevant. Like, facilities are nowhere near relationship with the coach how good the school is, how much playing time they think they're going to get, whether it's close to home or in some kids' cases far away from home. Like, all of of the things that go into a kid deciding where to commit, facilities might make a difference if every other thing was equal, but it's it's like number seven or eight on the list. And that's why it's so irrelevant when they talk about it being such a big deal. Because here's the thing, the reason I bring up the Vanderbilt one do you know how ridiculous it sounds to say Vanderbilt's going to start winning the SEC in football now that they have a nicer facility? That sounds ridiculous to say that out I loud. I think in their minds they're becoming equal in one form of recruiting that they weren't in others. No, I mean, they, they can't sell the past. They can't sell the history. They can't sell you know what Saban or anyone else has done in that league. But maybe they believe if they get equal in one part of it, uh, they have a better chance to get better players. I mean, I, that that has to be why they're doing this, to, you know, keep up with the Joneses in the SEC. And we know what they're like in the SEC and the money in that conference. So, I mean, whether or not you believe facilities matter or not, this can't come as a surprise to you that they're going to spend this much on facilities. Oh, no. Oh, no, not at all. No. Well, maybe at Vanderbilt, because Vanderbilt doesn't usually care about its sports team. So, maybe a little bit. But, yeah, I'm sure their facilities, oh. after spending $300 million dollars, will still be one of the worst in the SEC at the Whoa, end of the day. the Vandy boys? They're the what best, is that? They're the best baseball team in college sports. They are They are very good at baseball. They do, very good they at baseball. The very Vandy well boys. Baseball. Their stadium yeah. says that. It says Vandy boys on it? Uh-huh. They're very good I've at baseball. It. Yeah, where does it say that? Uh, I don't know. All right, coming up next, Google. UNLV basketball. They finally landed a player in the transfer portal. What's your response to the reaction to the, you know, the social media messages that were made public on, on get on social media? I'm sorry that people seen uh, the language I use. That's not really what I want people to see and hear from me. But um, hopefully, I can move past it and get back out on the floor. It's the press box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. UNLV finally landed a player in the transfer portal. It's not all players leaving UNLV. Jordan McCabe is coming to Vegas. Jordan McCabe was a backup point guard for West Virginia this past season. He had played three years at West Virginia. Kind of interesting in the fact that 
he played more minutes as a freshman at West Virginia than he did as a sophomore or a junior. His minutes actually went down the longer he was at West Virginia. Uh, he had talked earlier when he announced he was transferring about how they, the coaching staff kind of suffocated his minutes and he was just viewed as a role player and he wanted more than that. So now he's coming to UNLV and I'm curious, do you view him as like locked in starting point guard that's good enough for UNLV or is this a guy that hey, he's got to prove he's better than Marvin Cole? All I know about this kid is that my son is a ridiculous follower like you are of stars in recruiting. And I said yesterday, the Rebels got Jordan McCabe. He goes, they got that kid? I said, yeah. And he goes, he was pretty good in high school. So I don't really know what that means, um, that he was good in high school. We've seen, like you said, the numbers at West Virginia. Uh, you know, I, I, I yes, I, at this point, given where he played before, um, I would, I guess if they don't go get another point guard, I'd be surprised if he isn't a point guard. But I'm not so sure at this point there wouldn't be competition with Marvin Coleman. I don't think they got um, – let's say for a lack of a better example here, but he, we knew he was coming until he got into trouble. They didn't get Zayon Collins, right? So they didn't get a guy who's like, all right, that guy's the point guard, and he's going to be the point guard as long as he's here, and you're hoping, you know, a guy at that level's there four years. I don't think this is what that is. So let's see him come in and compete with Marvin Coleman. I mean, he's probably ahead of him, but I, reading everything you've written about him and, and what we know, I don't know if you can say he's that far ahead. Yeah, so basically you're talking about a guy who came off the bench in the Big 12 and how good or how well is that going to translate to the Mountain West level? Um, Jordan McCabe at West Virginia, he had good uh, assist numbers like on a permanent basis. Again, he only played like 11 minutes a game this year, but he had good assist numbers on a permanent basis. Uh, his three-point shooting wasn't very good, uh, which is going to be a little bit of a concern. But here's, here's my hope. I assume he's going to be ahead of Marvin Coleman because he basically said that he wants to go somewhere where he is going to get more playing time. And I have right. to imagine, I don't know how Kevin Kruger goes about in recruiting. I don't know what type of promises Kevin Kruger makes, but I have to imagine there's some level of Kevin Kruger telling Jordan McCabe, you're going to play a lot of minutes for this team. Um, I, I have to imagine that's how they landed Jordan McCabe. Yeah. Some, maybe it wasn't like a hard, hey, you're the starter no matter what, but I have to imagine there was some promise of playing time. Now, could Coleman be better than him? He could. He could be better than him. But what I really hope honestly happens, though, I hope Kevin Kruger's not done chasing point guards because he's offered like seven different point guards in the transfer portal. I hope he's still going after some of the other ones because while McCabe, McCabe and Coleman are, are they're solid options, you would still like sort of more of a true playmaker at that position. You'd be better off if you had somebody better than McCabe and Marvin Coleman at point guard. And on top of that, if you go back to two seasons ago when UNLV ended the regular season playing really well, they had three guys on the floor in Elijah Mitrelong, Amori Hardy, and Marvin Coleman that could all sort of have point guard duties. They could all sort of handle the point guard position. They had those three guys on the floor together. So when you're trying to build a roster, I think just because you have Jordan McCabe and Marvin Coleman – I still think you go try to get another point guard because that type of skill set can be extremely valuable for UNLV. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got a – I agree with you because this isn't a team that he's trying to fill. If, if we assume everyone in the portal is gone, we said yesterday we truly – we believe Bryce Hamilton, there's a good chance he comes back because he's not going to get drafted, and that's what they're probably going to tell him. But there's still a lot of numbers to uh, to fill. I don't think it's the worst in the world like you to get another point guard. I mean, you're not trying to fill two spots. You're trying to fill a lot of spots. So – yeah, um, 
you know, we missed this quote, which I wanted to bring up here because uh, I think I saw this quote in one of the stories Jordan McCabe said, I'm become, I'm coming because of the Mendenhall facility. Oh, so oh, um, I think, you know, I think he looked at the facilities <laughs> at UNLV. He said, I get to lift weights maybe in the Fertitta football complex. Why wouldn't I want to go there because of their great facilities? I have but, to cut uh, my own hair at the barbershop. Yeah, exactly. I get to cut my own hair at the barbershop. To your point. I would think, given how many point guards he offered. Now, you do offer a lot because these guys all have decisions to make, or yeah. options. So you, you don't offer just one. Yeah, you offer six or seven um, and hope you get one or two. I'd be surprised if he's done on on, on point guards. I, I guess I would because, again, how many? if we sit here right today with the guys in the portal, you probably know this, and, and Bryce gone, at least for now. What's the roster? Five players? Six? Yeah, so you're looking at I mean, Jordan McCabe still here, Marvin Coleman, Nick Blake. And Moses okay. Wood and Reese Brown. Now and we don't know about Mbake Jong, right? Yeah, Mbake Jong could come back. That would get you to six. Right. And then they do have the two recruits in Kashawn Gilbert and Arthur okay. Coloma. But that's there's only eight players right now. Even if if Jong were to come back and both recruits end up coming to UNLV, you're you're only up to eight players there. And in reality, you only have three, four guards, I guess, on that team. So there's there's right. absolutely still room. Sure. Four more point guards, more guards on this team. There's no doubt about that. And and maybe, listen, Kashawn Gilbert might come in and provide some of those point guard abilities as well as a freshman. You don't really want to count on that, but he could potentially do that as well. But there is there is absolutely roster space for UNLV to bring in, I mean... Another point guard. Right, another point guard, multiple guards, whatever it is. Yeah. There's absolutely room for that. And even if Bryce Hamilton comes back, even if David Jenkins came back and Mbake Zhang stuck around, there's still plenty of room to add those players. And that's maybe the most important position or most important type of skill sets the UNLV can add. I thought Jared said to go to break. Oh, did he say? Oh, I didn't hear that. <laughs> See, Jared, right. I'm on top of this. When we come back, <laughs> Cynthia Freeland from NFL <laughs> Network joins the show. We, we take a lot of pride in being very analytical here. Um, we use a lot of statistical data, tendencies, um, got a lot of respect for the percentages of blitz on second and one to six, third and five to ten. We take analytics as far as we can, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of human error that I continually make. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us is Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network. Cynthia, how are you today? Hey, Cynthia. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? We are good. Uh, so I, I actually want to start with the mock draft that you wrote. And I'm, I'm curious, and you can probably explain in your answer what exactly your mock draft is trying to accomplish, but no quarterback for the Jets at number two. Yeah, so it's a thought exercise where we're trying to maximize wins for 2021. So the reason there's no quarterback at two is because Sam Darnold's value and him being still on the team means that it would actually be smarter for them considering how many needs they have for their entire team, their entire program, to focus elsewhere and try to develop Sam. So just it's, it's a thought exercise. It's not trying to divine long-term value because long-term value is different for every team. There's different coaching cycles. Everyone's in a different spot, right? They have a new regime in, in New York. Other teams don't have that luxury. They must win now. So we created some rules to see the differences because when you look at those things and you measure the difference between what it would be with Sam or what it would be with someone else, it helps assign value to kind of the players that are already in the organization. 
So let me ask you this as far as NFL teams drafting and their strategy. How much do you think they should be looking at, hey, this is the guy that gives us the chance to win the most games right now in 2021 versus, hey, this guy might be better for us by our 2023 season? Yeah, so it depends on where you are in your contract. Let's be honest. The bad teams that are picking close to the top, no like offense to any of these teams, but the teams, <laughs> and, and obviously the Niners traded up to get there. I know they're just one season away from having gone to a Super Bowl. But ultimately, those teams aren't so good. So typically there's more pressure on them because depending on, yes, they, the Jets have a new coach, but it isn't always the case that you have the new coach, right? The Cincinnati Bengals who are picking at five. They're, yeah, they're pretty, they could be on the hot seat there. So you might need to maximize wins this season. But realistically speaking, coaches and teams for every point in their hiring cycle, they need to consider which player will be available in which range. So good teams use kind of like a percent chance that player X will be available picking in slot X, right? So picking between five and, and six or five and eight or something like that, how many, what's the likelihood that this quarterback will be available? So that will help a team determine whether they need to trade up or whether they can trade down and acquire even more picks later in the draft. So when you're doing this mock draft, you know what Sam Darnold's done analytically. Uh, so is it more about you know gauging what you think he might do? Because obviously the college kids, how much do you use your data to judge them? Because all these quarterbacks seem to be going in the top ten. Or is it more about we know what the NFL guy can do, so we're gonna we're gonna base everything on that more so than a college kids we're not really sure about yet. So it depends on each one of the the college players. So it everyone's resumes a little bit different. I mean, for example, Trey Lance doesn't have a lot of data. I think 17 starts total. Plus, this season, this past season in college, was so up in the air because obviously with the COVID situation, not only were teams shortened season-wise, they were also the level of competition was quite different than what we usually see. So there's a lot more question marks outside of what's going on. How are these people going to learn? We don't even know exactly how the offseason is going to work yet. So how do you learn? How does someone learn and adapt to the system? So sometimes it's not really about like, Sam Darnold was never really given a, a, a fair shake. I mean, that old line that's standing in front of him since he was drafted was not so good. And name the wide receivers that played with him last season because, you know, there's, there's some not-so-great talent there either. And then also the, the running back. So it's less, about, it's less about saying, all right, we already know who Sam is, we're done with him, or, or we should build around him. It's more about, okay, how can you create the best situation to, as a whole, with the whole team dynamic needs, and realistically speaking, unless you have a good a good O line or a serviceable O line, your quarterback's going to be in a lot of trouble. So these guys coming out of college, they're not going to be a solved right away. Every quarterback is a system quarterback. I will say this time and time. I don't care. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, they're all system quarterback. You need the right pieces around you. You couldn't plop Lamar Jackson down on the Detroit Lions and expect him to be any good. That's he'd be good, but not MVP good, right? So. That's kind of how the, the, the whole thing works. So, all right, one of the most fascinating names in the draft to me is Kyle Pitts because he plays a position that's not really a, a high-value position in the NFL, but almost everybody thinks he's going to be phenomenal, and that's why he could be a top five, top six pick, whatever it ends up being. I'm curious, just, just your thoughts on Kyle Pitts as a tight end and how high he's likely to go. Yeah, it's all about where someone lines up and what they're able to do. Kyle Pitts is special because – his ability to create space and to own the space between the hashes. So much of the game, the shorter passes are played in the middle of the field. So being able to dominate that middle of the field, be it through a slot receiver or through some dynamic tight end that's just not just huge because he's huge, but he's also really fast and twitchy. So speed is, speed is, I get into a lot of fights with people about speed because straight line <laughs> speed 
how often are you able to run in a straight line? Of course you'd be able to run a lot faster if that were the case, like a 40-yard dash, right? But you, you saw Kyle Pitts at his pro day. His, 40, his, his hips were not in the right spot, and he still blazed it. So the, the point is, is that his ability to create and what we've measured from his on-the-field performance, especially between those hashes in those critical areas to get the first downs, that's where first downs come from, is not, it's not always a deep cash. Of course, we'd like a good deep cash, but it's also owning the space in the middle of that defense where they crowd it up, they plug it up with a bunch of different defenders in the box or however they want to try to defend it. It didn't seem to matter. He was able to come down with those tight window passes. Uh, our rejoin was John Gruden talking about analytics and the uh, blitz, which well, surprises us here in Vegas because we've never seen him blitz. But um, how, are you surprised um, to this day uh, how coaches either embrace or don't analytics? And do you still think there's a lot of kind of old school guys who go on eyes, you know, what they see with their eyes and everything? Or do you think most have really kind of adopted we need to be analytically researched, we need to follow the data? But I understand that, like, I work in analytics, but I'm not really sure what that means to everyone. It's so different from, like, the John Harbaugh's of the world to, like, the, you know, other people of the world, right? I'm not going to call anyone out. But ultimately, some people, like, a lot of people call it, like, quality control, or they, they hide it somewhere else. Every coach is using it on some level. It, the, the level and the amount of importance they place on it, that's a, really a function of how well their, quote-unquote, analytics people can communicate. It's coach. I mean... John Gruden said what he was interested in. Blitz between his like that that soundbite is so funny to me because it's like he's reading some like something funny. But you know, it's like I'm, I'm interested in blitz between X yards and Y yards and, and whatever all these things. I wonder if it's not, but like if if he's not if their analytics people aren't providing him with that information or if that's what he's asking for and he's not getting it quite. Well, I don't know. Then he'll probably use his eye test. But it's look. There's a lot of ego in the NFL and there's a lot of. You have to work really hard to become a coach and do endure a lot of crap to become a coach. So ultimately, it's all about whether you see it as a tool, an additive, or whether you don't. And I say the analytics people need to do a better job of communicating with the guys who, quote-unquote, are old school. Because you don't need to tell them, you know, you don't need to use words like regression or any of those things. Just, just tell them what they want to know. You know, <laughs> just give them the answer. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little chicken a little bit vague. Cynthia, I'm, I'm curious from like a roster building standpoint, um, like what, what you think about the value of an offensive line versus being able to scheme around it as far as the quarterback or the coach or just the scheme itself, because the Raiders are going cheap on their offensive line this offseason. They've gutted that. They don't even have a right tackle at the moment. <laughs> like how, how easy is it for a John Gruden-Derek Carr combo to say, okay, we don't have as good of an offensive line, but we'll be fine because whatever scheme we have or whatever Carr does at the line of scrimmage can kind of hide that. So I'm going to say it's not the best strategy. Um, <laughs> there are anomalies. There, there are anomalies always. I will, there's an asterisk there. Nothing is 100% ever. So perhaps they will prove me wrong, but this is not a good, this is not a good sign. It's not a good, I mean, and we got, still have a lot of time left. This, you know, remember, the free agency is a little weirder this year because you didn't have the combine. We're usually at the combine, like, people have already made a bunch of these high-priced decisions. And then after that second wave, which happens when we, quote-unquote, see free agency start, the second wave becomes important. There's still a ton of players out there that have a ton of value that have not been picked up by a team yet. So as of right now, the strategy is confounding. It's, it's, it's tricky. Um, I, yeah, you, you've got a real pro in Derek Carr. I mean, he's that... I think he's super underrated as far as how much his 
brain can help, you know, make things work. I think he's he's a very underrated nationally, at least, like you know, from from what I hear. Um, well, you know, what I, I see what I see, and I can evaluate him, and I think they don't say enough positive things about him nationally. So he's great, but this is this is this is a very challenging. Right now, the roster is very challenging, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, that is a great way to say it. Um, <laughs> can you give us some NFL players uh, that maybe if you looked and you started studying analytically and their numbers, you'd be like, I can't believe he's as good as he is. I mean, there are, play- are there players off the top of your mind that, like, if you just look at the base data and you don't know who it is, you're like, that guy's not very good, and then you tell us his name, you're like, man, that guy's really good. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I'm going to, like, it, it doesn't sound very, like, sexy to say, but there's a lot of linebackers, especially on ball, off ball linebackers, like, you know, like that is a, that you might not know their, their name doesn't get called as much as you may think, but, you know, defending the way the modern game is going with all the passing, especially on first down, first down passing is up increase percentage wise year over year for the past four seasons, like pretty dramatically. So being able to stop the pass, especially passes that are on first down, which are, you know, play action, they're disguised. You got to look and see what college quarterbacks are coming out that's kind of being reflected in you know supply and demand like we have supply of people who do these types of things and then the demand for you know the defending them is going to go up so these off-ball linebackers that it does, the name doesn't sound so sexy but like i mean i guess Devin bush went very high and saw how good he is and he was obviously right. injured this past season for the Steelers. but you know you see that and you see these like these safeties like i think buddha baker obviously for the cardinals obviously and he's so and isaiah simmons who didn't have the like the rookie year maybe people thought he would, but those kind of weird hybridy not weird but like hybridy sort of situations are so impactful. Like Buda Baker is, you know, one of the best safeties in the league, and he just keeps getting better. And we don't talk about him enough at all. He's super important, especially look at the NFC West and how tough that division is. Just like try defending George Kittle, have fun with that, right? So you know, Buda Baker really important. Kind of like, again, not. Not always the guys who are like, oh, I'd love to say that, but, you know, those guys are important. And the wide receiver, too. So not always the guy who's, you know, you're not necessarily, like, your your main guy. Like, you know, Josh Reynolds, who now he, who's around and now he's a Titan, he's going to have an opportunity to show us what he's got there because A.J. Brown commands a lot of attention from opposing defenses. So your second wide receiver is really crucial. And if, especially if he can, like, you know, be a, a good slot guy. Like, that's, I'm telling you, the game is played between the hashes. Those are how those ugly first downs happen that set up the really fun one that where you think, oh my god, it's a 500 yard pass. Like, but you got to get the you got to get the the middle of the field taken care of so that there's space for those big passes to happen. Well, she is Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network. Follow her on Twitter at c freeland. Cynthia, we appreciate the time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, I Cynthia. love Vegas, so I will come out and visit you whenever I can. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thanks, please. Cynthia. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Uh, yeah, she, she she must have been shaking her head here in Gruden talking about blitzing. When did that happen? <laughs> now they hired a defensive coordinator in the last five years. He's blitzed fewer times than anybody. I don't know if they blitz at all. <laughs> the best the best quote Gruden's given on analytics was his first year when he was talking about, we got GPS. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> it's either that or hogwash. <laughs> oh. Oh, John Gruden. What a coach. <laughs> What a coach. I love John Gruden. Uh, he gives the best sound bites. I love this I guy. W- I can't wait for John Gruden to give us um, like a, a fourth down percentage or win probability at some point in the future where he goes or doesn't go for it on fourth down. He says, well, 
the chart the chart was telling me we had a better chance of winning the game if we didn't go for it i, I am pumped whenever that happens because it's going to happen just, at some point i just got the feeling when jared plays that clip and he's like you know we have great respect for it when he throws like second and five second and four i think he just said that like i didn't get the feeling he really embraced it but he felt he needed to say something so he said second and six second and four i'm like yeah, i don't know if you're really embracing this you might just I mean, be saying that there should be a level of like situational analytics. So when it's a oh, there should down, be. I just don't know distance. if he embraces it as right. Much as yeah, it, it felt like he was a lot more flippant about it. Yes, than he probably should exactly. have been serious about it. Yes, in those situations. Exactly. All right. No, I yeah, I'm sure there's a, on the card. There's something for every down and distance. I just don't know how much he really takes it on. Coming up next, our sharp finally won a game for the first time this week. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Mike, answer your phone. What is it? Jared is water. calling you. You're to, you. You finally won. Somebody won uh. this week. And find the sharp, and now Mike won't answer the phone. He picked Get the off the water, years. Mikey. Minus nine and a half yesterday. The Sixers covered pretty easily against the Cavaliers, thanks to Shake Milton being their leading scorer. And now Mike is not answering the phone. So our sharp could be back for day two, but we do not have our sharp Mike. And in the meantime, Ed, I want to talk about Michael Strahan because did you see Michael Strahan got the gap in his teeth fixed? Yeah, I did see that. I, did. I saw the picture. Yes, I saw the picture. Okay. Are yeah. you disappointed that Michael Strahan got the gap in his teeth fixed? DC. Oh Jesus. Oh god. <laughs> Don't care. I mean, good for him. I, you know, I I this was something that I'd have zero response at in terms of if you ask me, which I will now have zero response at. I All right. good for him. Mike is here. Mike, you won hey, yesterday. Up, Who do you want to pick on. today? Who am I going to pick today? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb. We're going to go. We're going to go with the Bucks minus three and a half against the Trailblazers. And by the way, you guys gave me a little bit of flack yesterday for my pick, but I think I covered pretty darn well, didn't I? You did. You did. Thanks did. to Shake Milton scoring 27 points for the 76ers. Um, I, my man. I think my it, man. I'm Shake. <laughs> Two and a half. Let me get a better number on this. What yes, I see. Tyler? I see two and a half for you. So you'll get oh. you'll get a slightly better number there. So Milwaukee uh, minus two and a half tonight uh, against the, cool. the Portland Trail Blazers. So there you go, Mike. Good luck on your Thanks, second buddy. NBA pick. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Good luck, buddy. Uh, I don't know if we'll be talking to Mike very long. It's tough to bet the NBA. That's a tough one. If he goes on I a mean, run with the NBA, he's doing really well. Everybody else, and not like anybody else I mean, is doing well with other sports. I'm, last, the last I'm guy just, to actually win a couple in a row was just picking soccer every day. What uh, we've learned is don't pick against Gonzaga. Yes, yes. The only thing we've learned on the charts. Why are you excited that he got the gap in his tooth fixed? All right, listen. I'm going to ask Jared this question instead. Jared, yes. Are you disappointed <laughs> that Michael Strahan got the gap in his teeth fixed? It does kind of smack of when Brian Urlacher got fake hair. Right? Like, it, it definitely is like, wh why? Why wait? Like, you, it's become part of your look. Or when uh, yes. Forrest Whitaker fixed his eye. 
which is a reference I genuinely just realized. I know who that is. Oh no, no, God, I know no. who Forrest Whitaker is. Yes, I don't know what movie I watched, but I I definitely know who Forrest Whitaker is, and I did not know he got his eye fixed. Why did he get his eye fixed? You should go watch some of his early work, like uh, Ghost Dog. It's uh, that does not sound like a good movie. No, there, there's no way I'm watching a no. movie called Ghost Dog. It's uh, it's actually really all right. You guys suck. No, <laughs> Ghost Dog. Well, is this the same as Finding Forrester? He's not in Finding Forrester. Oh, well, you're saying Forrester. So I'm, you're saying Forrest. I, I'm going to one level. Just, did you see Finding Forrester? Yes, I did, but I don't think he How good was that? in Finding Forrester. No, but that was a great movie, wasn't it? Yes, but I mean, okay. like, all right, so was Forrest Gump. Like, are we just... Oh, that was we... good, too. Yes, let's just start naming movies with the name Forrest in it. Forrest Gump was really good, too. That was a good movie. <laughs> Tyler, have you seen either Forrest Gump or Finding Forrester? I have never even heard of Finding Forrester. Wow. Um, Basketball movie. That's surprising. Sean Connery, that's surprising. It's a good I, movie. I have seen Forrest Gump before. Yes, I have. Okay. Um, right. At the moment, I'm trying to figure out which movie I watched that had Forrest Whitaker in it. But this guy is in way too many damn movies. Holy crap, he's got a lot of movies Star over Wars here. is what you saw um, him in. Oh, was he in Rogue One? He, I believe so. Yeah, I did. Okay. I think that is where I know him from. Um, by the way, uh, Jared, I know nothing about the movie Ghost Dog, but it is Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, and he played the role of Ghost Dog. So I'm assuming Ghost Dog is not an actual dead dog. No, no what? It's not like Ghost Dad. Well, I... why, would I, why would I not think Ghost Dog was about a ghost of a dog? I mean, I, I guess, but it seems a little on the nose. What what do you mean? What else would you name well, it? What is Scooby Doo? Is it called like Dog Detective? Maybe it should be. It'd be a way better name. I'm just saying. I, I I did not expect him to be the actual dog because he's I thought it was about dog. an actual he's dog. A, he's a... I'm aware of that now. He was a samurai or something like that. It's really good. I, I can't believe Forrest Whitaker was Charles Jefferson in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That okay, I haven't seen Fast Times at Richmond High since like okay. I was in high school, so Okay. But he was Charles Jefferson with the car. I didn't I didn't know that. According to his uh filmography, that was the second movie he was ever in. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, good for I I I, I can see that now. Looking at him, I can see that he was Charles Jefferson. I I didn't know that. It's like two <laughs> lines in the entire movie, but uh uh yeah, that's that's a good one. He you're right though, you look up this kid's uh filmography, he's been in everything. Been in a ton of movies. Tune in next when we look up Tom Cruise's filmography. Yes. Well, be careful there. <laughs> <laughs>